G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Well, as we do on a Monday, always good to get an update on the political agenda as things are shaping after the weekend and with the week ahead. And a wonderful opportunity to welcome back to 2020 Martin Isles, the Australian Christian Lobby Managing Director. Hello, Martin. Welcome back. G'day, Neil. Good to be back with you. Uh, Martin, first thing we see today when we turn the news on or pick up the headlines in the newspapers, of course, uh, the news poll result, uh, it is something that captivates the nation. It certainly captivates journalists around the nation. Uh, the latest news poll has a bit of a boost for Malcolm Turnbull. What are your thoughts on uh, the figures as they've come through? Well, they love their polls, don't they? So, I mean, the first thought is that it's just one poll. Um, and, uh, look, there's a lot of talk about it being a great uh, piece of news for Malcolm Turnbull. Uh, there's some truth to that, but most of the improvement is actually in his personal rating, which doesn't translate into an election win. It's sort of a well-known thing in political circles that you might be the least less popular of the two leadership options, but you can still uh, win an election, and usually when you're in opposition, you are the less popular leader. Uh, that's not unusual. The two-party preferred is 51-49, so it's narrow, it's close. That is good news for Malcolm Turnbull. It's just a question of whether it's a sugar hit because of the budget or whether it'll endure. I will say this. I think um, as people get used to the idea that it, these two leaders, Malcolm Turnbull and Bill Shorten, will be the leaders come the next election, I suspect that the expectations and maybe the polling numbers will shift slightly because there's been this, this sort of latent idea in everyone's minds that Malcolm Turnbull might be gone come the next election. Uh, and I think that might have factored into a lot of what's been going on. But, but, but frankly, uh, it looks less and less likely that's going to happen. It looks like we will have these two. And uh, who knows? Will Bill Shorten lose the unlosable? I don't know. Uh, we just got to keep an eye on it. But there's only one poll. So uh, there's, a, <laughs> there's a heck of a long way to go. As you say, there is only one poll that counts. It's an election poll, uh, but this latest news poll, it is a boost for Malcolm Turnbull, as you say, a post-budget news poll, and it does indicate that Australians have received uh, that sort of uh, glowing, uh, generous budget in a way that they've sort of given Malcolm Turnbull a little bit of an extra boost here, and because there is sometime into the near future, perhaps even later this year, the possibility of a federal election, does this, in fact, put Bill Shorten's leadership under any pressure, uh, given that, you know, a boost in the polls, while you say it's a, it's a little bit of a, uh, a sugar hit for Malcolm Turnbull, but does that also mean that there's a little bit of a souring for Bill Shorten? Look, if this continues, then the answer is probably yes. Uh, so if Malcolm Turnbull continues to turn the tables, and let's say that we see the coalition uh, perhaps win a few polls in the coming months, if that trend line continues, then I think the answer for Bill Shorten is yes, most definitely, because it will be seen as though he has squandered an opportunity. He had sort of 30-something 
uh, news polls where he was ahead and, 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 and if his leadership isn't cutting through after all that time then it may well be that the knives come out within uh, his, his own party but I think the main thing here is that people have seen a bit of a political strategy from the government. Uh, I think their agenda has been disrupted by Barnaby Joyce, it's been disrupted by people getting kicked out of parliament because of the high court, it's been disrupted by all kinds of things uh, and this was a moment where the media actually aired something of a strategy from the government and I think that that's so refreshing to people that they're suddenly uh, more favourable towards them and you know if they can continue to get clear air you, you might be right um, in that thought Neil that uh, that the Chorten will be on the ropes. Uh, Martin, uh, let me just uh, get your insights into some other big issues that are going on and not necessarily within our shores uh, on Australian territory. The, the Indonesian church bombings, an Islamic, uh, the Islamic State group uh, claiming responsibility, suicide attacks, three churches in Indonesia on the weekend, 11 people dead, uh, 41 others injured. I mean, these are dreadful headlines. Easy to say, oh, that's happening in Indonesia. But Indonesia is our near neighbour to the north. And uh, they are suffering some levels of agitation which is happening within the Islamic uh, uh, population there. Uh, when we talk about things like that, uh, we think that somehow or other we're a little bit removed, but uh, we're not necessarily that far away from things that are happening in Indonesia. What are your thoughts on those uh, bombings on the weekend? Well, I guess I've got two thoughts, um, Neil. Maybe the first one is be warned and the second one is let's be grateful um, it's a dreadful tragedy. It seems that it was a whole family that carried out those attacks. The father did one, mother and the two youngest children did another, and two of the older boys did another. Um, so it was a family that was motivated by, um, by uh, it seems, an Islamic uh, extremist ideology. Um, and I think we can be warned. It's always very important as Christians to know that people need no motivation to do wrong because people, we are fallen. We, the line of evil runs down the human heart, as they say. Uh, it's very, very important to know that, that everybody is capable of terrible things because of the fallen world we live in. But it's also important to know that there is such a thing as evil, there's such a thing as evil ideologies that create an excuse uh, for people to carry out terrible acts. And uh, it's a warning, I guess, to be sober-minded about uh, the Islamic ideologies that are out there, particularly extremist Islam, Islamic State, um, and the implications on that for our own community, because they're real, as we all know. Um, but as you say, uh, Neil, uh, it feels far away, even though it's not, because it's not something that we, uh, at this stage in our community, uh, have a problem with. And so we can be really grateful um, that in Australia we, 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 we enjoy peace uh, as Christians. We're, there's no violence against us. Uh, I mean, I, in terms of the warning, though, I mean, we remember the threat of um, the Christmas Day bombings uh, in Melbourne on churches on Christmas Day services a couple of years ago. That was a terror plot that was foiled by the, uh, by the federal police. Uh, and so you've, we should take nothing for granted. I think we should pray not only for our Indonesian brothers and sisters, but we need to pray for wisdom from our own policymakers and also protection for the Australian church as we go forward and, and live in the gratitude of that, but don't take it for granted. Uh, no doubt we'll be talking some more about that as we go through the morning and uh, you'll be aware of Elizabeth Kendall and the wonderful insights she has when it comes to these types of issues. Uh, Elizabeth will be joining us after our conversation, Martin. Let me ask you, though, about a number of other things that have been bubbling along which are very important for us as Christian believers to have a handle on. There's ongoing issues with Israel Folau and that whole controversy over homosexuals and going to hell uh, those sorts of things. Uh, you've been writing about this of recent times and, uh, and it isn't going away. In fact, uh, there's new developments. 
Well, yeah, it seems that the uh, the hostility towards Israel for Lau is not baiting. Um, he's for a long time uh, been sharing Christian things on his Twitter and, and his Instagram, and he, he often uh, shares Bible verses and things like that. Has done for some time. Nothing's actually changed from his perspective. Nothing's changed in the sense of what he does. It's just that some people have noticed uh, and decided to make an example of him. Um, the most recent thing he did was tweet a short 11-minute video by an evangelist, David Wilkerson, um, uh, in which Wilkerson um, does you know, some fairly uh, hard-hitting but, but classical Christian evangelism, where he talks about uh, the reality of Christ's return. He talks about the need for us to, to be right with God, things like that, sorts of things that Christians would, would, would want to hear in churches, the sorts of things we often tell our friends and neighbours or that we preach about. Um, and uh, that has caused him to get into all sorts of hot water in different media outlets once again, uh, in which he's been criticised as a religious lunatic, been told that he has to keep his beliefs to himself. Uh, Raylene Castle, the Rugby Australia boss, has uh, also been questioned about it. And, you know, there was a piece on ABC News over the weekend uh, where, uh, where, you know, the, the, the entire panel just agreed that, that what Israel Folau was engaging in was hate speech. Um, and there was no challenge to that position put. And I suppose the concern that I have um, is that it seems to me that key parts of the Christian gospel are being labelled that way now. Um, Israel explained himself quite clearly in his response piece to those original comments where he said, look, uh, I'm a sinner too, and, and the fact of the matter is that hell is real and that everyone will be judged, um, and we need, to, we need to be right with God. And uh, if we can't say those things anymore uh, without being told that we're engaging in hate speech, I, I fear that politics uh, tends to follow culture, the law tends to follow the culture, uh, and uh, it might not be very long before uh, the mainstream church actually has trouble teaching core elements of Christianity and the Christian faith, because, of course, we all know that core to the gospel is the issue of repentance and judgment, you know, hard questions like that. Uh, and that's the concern. So it's my hope that uh, people would be uh, emboldened to support Israel Folau and to speak truth. Uh, so that we can't be silenced to create the conditions where those laws could be brought in. And there is a link to that David Wilkerson video, and only goes 11 minutes, mm. worth watching, worth listening carefully to. Uh, in that piece in which I'll point people to when they go to the Australian Christian Lobby website, uh, you've written a little about that as well. And uh, let me just quote something you've written in your uh, in your piece. During times of universal deceit... Telling the truth is a revolutionary act. And you're saying that for Christians, uh, when we talk about what the Bible teaches, that shouldn't be anything that is somehow rather controversial for us. That should be a very uncontroversial thing. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and the difficult, the great concern I have is that there's not been many Christians actually rushed to Israel Folau's defense. Um, as if we've accepted that what he said should not be said, or we've accepted that the criticism is valid, or some something like that, or maybe we're all just a bit scared. Uh, I worry that there's an absence of church leaders. I worry there's an absence of sportsmen and women who are also Christians coming forward and saying we agree. If you don't have strength in numbers, um, then the lone voice can easily be silenced. Uh, there's a scripture I quote from Isaiah in that uh, same blog where you know there's the, the one where it says, "He who speaks truth makes himself a prey." because truth has stumbled in the public squares. And I just think that is so apt. Uh, and I, I long for uh, more people to speak up. And I think we should pray for Israel, pray for his family, his wife uh, particularly, and the, 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 her Facebook's been bombarded as well. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, really to pray for them and to pray that more voices would join him. 
Okay, and I'll point people to the Australian Christian Lobby website. You'll find on the Christian Lobby page uh, an article about Israel Folau. In that article, there's that link uh, to the David Wilkerson 11-minute sermon. And he is hard-hitting and uh, describes uh, very aptly the way that the situation's changing uh, the environment uh, in Christian faith and the call to stand firm. Uh, Let's move on to another issue, one that is also really, really important. Of course, uh, listeners might be aware of Professor David Goodall, the 104-year-old Australian scientist uh, who flew to Switzerland to end his life and uh, and had all sorts of things to do about hastening the way that, uh, you know, you might be uh, having euthanasia opportunities here in Australia. Uh, your thoughts on developments with, so far as the euthanasia of David Goodall? Well, there's a lot that could be said about the issue, um, Neil, on euthanasia, and it's it's complicated, and there's a whole lot of uh, lot of angles to take to to discuss about it and the things that what's wrong with it. Um, but I think in this particular case, the the relevant point is that David Goodall was 104, um, and there was nothing else wrong with him. Uh, he was just uh, elderly, uh, and he was tired of living. Um, I think it tells us a couple of things. I'm concerned, really, that there's a problem uh, in our society uh, in relation to the value of the elderly. Um, He's tired of life. I was actually talking to a doctor who has quite a lot of elderly patients um, only yesterday, and we got chatting about this. And he said it's a common feeling uh, that uh, the elderly feel like they're tremendously irrelevant, um, and they feel as though they've got nothing to contribute. I think that's a societal blight. Um, on us because it isn't actually true. Um, I've been greatly blessed throughout my life by the influence and the mentorship and the guidance of elderly people who have lived, uh, who know a great deal and are are extremely respectable people and people who have tremendous character. Uh, It grieves me that that's changed and it grieves me there's a terrible divide. I think particularly around the age of 40 or 35, there's a great gulf between those who are younger and those who are older because there's such a different thought process, uh, uh, there's such different ideologies driving the two groups, the older and the younger, um, and they think so differently. Um, I even worry, actually, that in some of our churches you've got services tailored to older and younger. That It seems to be playing itself out throughout society. That's a problem. Uh, if you've got somebody who's, who, who, can be, who can euthanize themselves to fairly broad approval or without much murmur of dissent, just because there are 104... Um, what's the value we're placing on those who are older? But the other side of it is um, it shows that the euthanasia issue is the thin end of the wedge. Uh, you know, it's, it's, people often dismiss that as, as a scaremongering sort of thing, slippery slope, but it has to because there's proposals in Australia right now to introduce euthanasia around certain parameters. So Trevor Kahn in New South Wales says, well, for people who are over the age of 25, for people who are in unbearable suffering, uh, then you ask the question, well, why not 24-year-olds? Um, what would be the big difference if they were 24 or, or 21? Or what if the suffering was mental? What if they had a lot of mental anguish? They were really depressed. Why is that different uh, to your physical and so on? Or, you know, someone who's going to die within two years. Well, what about two and a half? Once you get rid of God's principle of life is sacred, there's no reasonable basis on which to draw a line. And so why not if someone's 104 and sick of living? Um, that's where the euthanasia question goes. And, of course, you get the situation in Belgium where children can euthanize themselves, where people are routinely being euthanized uh, because of mental health struggles and things like that. It's really dreadful.
And for people who say there is no such thing as a slippery slope, what you're describing for these last few minutes is really what happens when a slippery slope takes over once there is some level of legislation for euthanasia and the implications, as you say, Martin, for the elderly. Uh, the need, uh, of course, the opposite to what seems to be the direction that's going at the moment. We need to value the elderly, and as Christians, we have that foundation. Uh, implications around issues of suffering, uh, you know, the idea of trying to escape from suffering. Well, the mm. Christian idea, of course, is uh, palliative care is uh, alleviating the suffering. So uh, there are lots of different dimensions here. As a Christian, we can we can say we've got a different way of thinking about this, and it's a way that preserves the. Uh, the validity and the value of uh, of human life from cradle right through to the grave. Oh, look, absolutely. I think you've 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 nailed it. Um, and there is that question then of you know, do we care for people by killing them now? No, the Christian way is different. We actually say that to care for people is to alleviate their suffering, uh, and also it, it is it is good for us to be involved in that process and to show Christian virtues of love and, 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 and nurture and things like that towards those who are in need. And it's also not uh, the case that suffering has no purpose, that because you experience some pain, uh, that there's no reason, there's no purpose in that, that, that we need to get rid of it. No, you know, God's, God doesn't think that way. God says there's a, there's a place for pain and there's a place for pleasure. Uh, and all of those things are really important in the development of our character, whether it's us that's struggling or it's a friend. Well, Matt Niles, always value your insights. I want to point people to the Australian Christian Lobby website, acl.org.au. You'll find a wealth of resources there uh, that helps us to understand how a Christian thinks about the issues that are going on in our day. When you read the headlines uh, and you can see all sorts of things happening, things that don't seem quite right, and you're wondering, how is my faith different to that? Let me point you to the Australian Christian Lobby website. You'll get some great resources there. Martin Isles is the Managing Director of the Australian Christian Lobby. Martin, thank you so much for taking some time once again today to share your thoughts and your heart and uh, this week's political agenda with our listeners. Thanks so much, Neil. Always a pleasure. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.